I'm Tinotenda Charles Rutanira, and this is a podcast on the shoulders of giants, where we get to chat with incredibly inspiring people who have broken the status quo or faced down adversity or taken the road less traveled and positively impacted the lives of other people. We get to hear their stories and gain knowledge and insights into how their professional and personal lives mix every day to create lessons and insights for others to follow. Because the only way to really grow is by building on previous discoveries. And only then can we truly see further by standing on the shoulders of giants. Namaste, and thank you for joining me today. Let's be honest, some of you, like me, have entertained the idea of doing yoga. And maybe like me, you've thought, what's the big hoopla? Is this more of this new age mumbo jumbo? Or perhaps you've brushed it off to being too religious, overrated, or even feminine. The images that come to my mind when I was thinking about yoga were skinny, half-naked Indian men doing headstands or fit athletic women in colorful form-fitting clothing literally bending over backwards, or long-haired hippie vegans meditating atop their VW buses. It's not exercise, I thought, just glorified stretches. That is, until one day I went to try it out myself and literally had to take a time out 15 minutes into the session because I couldn't catch my breath. My guest today is Kerry Fantelli, a health practitioner, dancer, and yoga instructor, as well as a writer and blogger on the website Badass Mamas. Carrie, welcome to the On the Shoulders of Giant podcast. Thank you. Thanks for asking me to speak. So, Carrie, I'm secretly hoping that you're doing this interview in the Bakasana position. Is that the case? <laughs> um, in crow pose? Is that what you're saying? You want me to be arm balancing this entire time? That actually would prove your, your worth as a yogi. Well, that would be easier. That would be easier than the pose I was already in. So thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> so uh, I like to start my podcast with a, with a brief look at my guest's upbringing. So uh, how did uh, your childhood inform your values and your beliefs? Um, well, I would say that the most obvious answer is I was the youngest of five girls in my family. There was just girls, no no boys in our household. And I was the youngest. And my dad was the ultimate feminist. Basically, we didn't delineate chores between the boys do this, the girls do that. We did it all. So from a very young age, that was the message that I kind of lived by was you do it all and being the youngest when I started going to school and I started kind of following in my sister's footsteps because we all had the same teachers a lot of the time the statement would always be oh you're Julie Jennifer Jeannie Carla's sister which pretty much meant you're going to be a straight A good quote-unquote student and I really got sick of that and so I decided I didn't want to be like my sisters and so I became known as a as, as a troublemaker basically so I was a, a rebellious kid and I think that that followed me deeply into childhood both of those things the rebelliousness and the I can and don't have a choice to do everything kind of mantra so that 
pretty much became the foundation of who I am today. And I really have created a lifestyle and a life based on, on those two things. And so how has that um, influenced your practice as a yogini? Well, I don't know if it's impacted my practice per se because, okay, it has. Everything kind of comes into this because I've been known to be a slightly competitive woman and I first started out doing yoga because of a, because of a back injury and so to me, when I started practicing, it was in my home. I was teaching myself. I grabbed a book. I didn't know what I was doing. I had not practiced yoga. I wasn't going to formal classes, and so there was no competition there. And then when I started to go to classes, I kept looking around and not just focusing on my own practice. And so because that ego piece was there, that competitive drive of wanting to be able to do what everybody in the room was doing. And so as I learned and as I really became deeper in my yoga practice, I realized that's absolutely the antithesis of the purpose of a practice of yoga. So it kind of took the edges off of me and my ego and my competitiveness. I'm still very competitive, just not in a yoga studio per se. Hmm. And so you're talked about uh, a back injury and how that led to you practicing yoga. Can you elaborate on that? It's, a, it's actually a very funny story. So I injured my back dancing and dealt with it for a year. And I, I just kept dancing and I kept working and I kept doing all the things that I was normally doing with pain and in pain. And it was pretty awful. It got to the point where I was in such bad pain, I couldn't even balance on my left leg to put my right leg in my pant leg. It was that bad. I had to like lie down to put on my pants. It was, it was torture and I'm stubborn and I didn't go seek help. And everyone in the dance community kept telling me, Oh, Carrie, do yoga. It'll really help. And of course I was the opposite of doing what everyone told me to do. And so I didn't listen, didn't listen, didn't listen and just dealt with pain. And it went on for about a year. It was pretty bad. And I was in Putney, Vermont at a dance conference. And we ended up crashing and staying on this guy's land. And it was the funniest situation because we go to this gentleman's land. I've never met him before in my life. And he had set up this beautiful campsite. It was lovely. We had finished our dance classes for the evening. And we had gotten directions to his house. And we get there. And he's sitting there around this campfire. And we all go and we introduce ourselves. And basically, he was a little intoxicated. And and um, so he was pretty drunk, actually, not a little intoxicated. He was really drunk. And I introduced myself and, and was staring into the fire. And he looks across the fire and he says to me, you've got to do yoga. And he fell out of his chair and passed out, literally. <laughs> and I thought, okay, the universe, God, the universe, whatever you want to call this divine energy coming through to tell someone that is a stranger and it was just the most amazing experience. And so from that moment on, I listened and I said, okay, all right, I get it. I've been hitting the head long enough with this yoga recommendation. I will go home and I will do it. And that's when I, I went to the library, the public library, and got books and just studied the poses because I didn't know what I was doing. And, and that's 
how I started the whole journey. And I got a couple of DVDs and got a little bit more involved, and then I started to go to classes. So why not go to class right away? Why did you go to the library instead? Because I was in so much pain, I was a little concerned because I do practice medicine, and I, I was a little concerned about my own body and, and the competitiveness of me that I would push myself and hurt myself more. So I really wanted to learn the postures and the poses and, and feel what felt okay and safe to me before I kind of went into a space where I knew that my ego would start to kind of flare up. And um, that's why I wanted to do it in the privacy of my own home. And actually, I pretty much do a home practice to this day. I rarely go to classes. It's all pretty much a home practice. Would you recommend that to somebody who is trying out, or would you rather insist that they go to a practice? Um, well, I think it all depends, and everyone is different. That's what makes the practice of yoga so open for so many different people because there's all different styles. You know, there's many beginners classes. There's restorative yoga, yoga. There's, you know, vinyasa, which is very popular, which is what I do teach. There are other styles, the yangar, all different styles that can be really helpful. If you're starting out, going to a nice beginner class would be a great way to start. But a lot of people are somewhat unsure, like you started with the whole beginning of the, the podcast. Like, are there going to be hippies there? Are there going to be, am I going to be the only guy in the room? And, and it can make people feel a little uncomfortable or a little unsure. And if you're starting out and you really are interested in the practice of yoga, trying out the stuff at home first, but then you might be doing things with some correct, incorrect um, alignment, which can be a little dangerous. So it's, it's dependent on how each individual feels with confidence about their bodies and, and what they feel mostly at peace and safe with. And if they do feel like going to a class to learn from a teacher, hands-on adjustments and assists, that's always a great option, but it doesn't have to be that way. Got it. And so what is your typical classroom like? Uh, well, my typical class is mostly women. It is still a, you know, statistically it's probably, I would say, 70-30 and mostly women. It's it's all ages too. I mean, it's it's people that are my age and which is like 20 of course. And then <laughs> older people. <laughs> people in their 60s. But I would say probably majority 30, 40-year-olds and again, it is mostly women and it doesn't have to be all people that are extreme athletes. There's all different, all different folks of all different capabilities, and and it's it's important. I, I like to practice a lot and teach a lot with props because I feel like using blocks, using a strap, using a blanket or a bolster, it's really helpful to allow you to get into a pose not only safely but really properly. And then as the practice deepens, then you can take those props away if it does feel like the pose is in, in the right direction for you. And I always, every class I start, I say, grab two blocks and a strap. That's just what I always recommend. Hmm. So 
you started practicing yoga um, to get over your injury, but at some point you took it to the next level and it became more than just uh, something to help you through your injury. It was more, it became more of a passion. Uh, can you walk me through how that came about? Well, I think it was very insidious. I don't really, I mean, I, I, I guess my back stopped hurting, so it did work, and I was pain-free, and then I did realize that it was very peculiar because every time I did a seated spinal twist, I would burst into tears, and it was bizarre, and it was a very strange and um, uncomfortable experience at first, and then it just became kind of like what I was expecting would happen was when I would start twisting, I would cry. And I was thinking, this is a little odd. I'm so emotional. Or I would do hip openers and I would cry or I would become emotional. And maybe that's another reason why I always did a home practice because I was <laughs> crying in every class. So <laughs> the privacy of my own home was, was a little bit safer. And I realized that probably all these emotions and layers that I consider, like I talk a lot about how for me personally, and I do believe that this is probably a pretty common experience, it, the practice of yoga does start out as physical for a lot of people in Western society. And with time, the, the layers start to go deeper and it becomes more emotional and you start to really recognize places in your body that haven't gotten attention and there's certain places in our in our own bodies that require opening or require release and in those releases and openings it's it's astounding how emotions are kind of trapped in those spots and so over time it becomes this shift of energy it's very it's magical it's like this energetic shift of what we kind of show to the world every day and then who we really are. And I feel like getting yourself closer to your true self and who you really truly are at your heart of heart is what keeps me going back to my mat because it does continue to deepen the more I practice and the longer I've, I've been working through my yoga on my mat and my yoga off my mat. It's, it's a beautiful process, and so it does become very deep, emotional, and you could use the word spiritual, and I do believe that I've had moments where it's felt extremely spiritual for me as far as the practice of yoga and, and what it's offered and awarded to me as, as I grow. It's not so much physical anymore. So when you were talking about crying uh, while doing these did you say open hip flexes? Is that a more spiritual experience or you said something about uh, feeling emotions that you hadn't touched before, something to that effect? Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that? Um, because I'm trying to tie how, you know, the tears came out when you were doing certain moves um, and what the, what the significance of that was. Well, there's a lot of theories about poses and the way that they work on different organs in your body as well as channels of energy in your bodies and, and for for spinal twists 
if you're twisting, let's say you're seated and you're twisting right, you really work on your liver and your gallbladder and your right kidney. And so there's things, surprisingly, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, but there's emotions that we hold in our organs and there's things that need to be released. And so the liver and the gallbladder and the kidney, they're all organs that are extremely important in cleansing because we take something into our body, it's got to leave somehow. And that something is, you know, food or beverage or if you drink alcohol or smoke or do anything, you're taking something in, it's got to leave. So it leaves through your liver and how it's metabolized and processed or it goes through your kidneys. And you know what happens when it goes through your liver and you know what happens when it goes through your kidneys. Those are your, your poops and your peas. So it's got to get out. And when you're twisting to the right, those things are purifying. It's like cleansing. It's like wringing your whole insides out like a towel and you're wringing it out. So it's like whatever you're holding on to, which isn't good, which is toxic, which could be like the bag of Doritos or the bad relationship or whatever, you're squeezing it out. And, and for me, it was never Doritos. And so you squeeze it out and, and it just comes out. And so for me, that was extremely powerful. When I would twist, I would, I would feel something leaving me. And it came out in the form of tears. I did not have a bowel movement or pee my pants on my yoga mat. So that doesn't happen. But I did cry. <laughs> Wow, pretty cool. So maybe after this weekend's uh, shenanigans, I need to like twist a little bit to the right. Maybe. <laughs> um, so what yogic theories, and maybe yogic is a made-up word here. Is it a word? Yogic? It's a word. Yeah. Is it a word? Yeah. So what yogic theories have shaped your views about uh, about your aptitude and your attitude towards life? Because um, you're sort of hitting on sort of a spiritual tone here, and I want to just get a sense of, you know, what lessons you've learned from yoga and how you apply that to your life going forward. Well, I talked about the ego, and I talked about how the competitiveness has really shifted for me, and I would say. And I think it's different for every person. And so this is just my speaking of my experience. I feel I am a much more responsive person versus a reactive person. I used to be a little reactive. I used to kind of have a short fuse and a fiery temper. And that has shifted a lot. I mean, that could be because I'm older. But... I do attribute a lot of the shifts of becoming a lot more calm and a lot more responsive through the process of yoga because when I started practicing yoga, I started studying yoga. It wasn't just the physical form and, and I don't know if, if you're aware of the eight limbs of yoga, asana movement, the physical postures is one of eight. and I really started studying and trying to incorporate the other limbs of yoga. And Can you rattle through them real quick? Sure, sure, sure. So basically there's the yamas and those are um, like moral codes, um, like not stealing and being truthful, having asteya, not ahimsa, not harming, different things that are, are ways to be a good human being. 
and niyamas are personal observances, and then there's the asanas, which are the physical body postures. Pranayama is the breath, breath work, controlling your breath, and also controlling the prana, which is like energy in the body. Pratyahara is controlling your senses, and then dharna is concentration and altering your inner perceptual awareness, becoming very focused and aware within yourself. And then dhyana is devotion, meditation, and meditating on the divine. And the last is samadhi, and that is when you become union, you become like a connection with the divine. So, they, and they're not tiered. They're always depicted in a wheel because they basically build on one another and they're a continuum. It's not first you have this, then it's this, then it's that. They they all work together. And I started really learning and trying to observe them and trying to truly work with them. And so that's when the practice became much deeper for me, especially when I get into the meditation. That that took my my practice and the changes of, of that being able to be more mindful and be more present in the moment, that that's when it really started to solidify for me. So I wanna But just... I still get mad and I still swear and I still am me. It doesn't like make me always, you know, burn incense and sit in lotus and ohm. And that's I think a misconception is people automatically, like I joke a lot of times, and I'm sorry I interrupted you, but oh, no. I, I joke with my students. And I say, you know, my class, first of all, is, is not very serious. I There's a lot of joking going on, and there's a lot of humor, and, and I make make sure that people understand. Like, I, I don't want this to be so serious that people are afraid to have fun. Um, but I always joke, and I say, like, just because I teach yoga does not mean that I am not still who I am, which is still that fiery, feisty feminist. So oh, that, that's cool. It just made me a, a nicer version of myself. <laughs> a swearing nicer version, but, <laughs> but a nicer version nonetheless, yeah. right? <laughs> so so right, does that exactly. mean that I don't have to become a vegetarian, give up watching Game of Thrones and deactivate all my <laughs> social networks? Absolutely not. No, you have to add more so then you can post your yoga photos on top of the mountains like I do because that's that's the whole point of it, Tino. No, of course not. You don't have to become a vegetarian. I was a vegetarian before I practiced yoga. But, it, it you know, it's interesting. It does, I mean, and again, it could be a different experience. There are plenty of beer-drinking, meat-eating yogis out there, and, and it's, it's that's really not, the point of it, although, in my opinion, with the with a lot of the ways of like those limbs of yoga I was talking about, the eight limbs, you become a lot more. Um, I you know I can't think of a better word than mindful, but you do. You become very mindful of your speech, of the way that you live, of the of the way that you exist on this planet, and it becomes. In a, in a sense, you don't want to do harm. And so that's why I think a lot of yogis become vegetarians because of the harm. And I don't want to turn into a soapbox about becoming a vegetarian. But it's the way animals are treated is inhumane. So I'm just going to say it and then we can move on. 
but I don't like the way animals are treated and that's why I chose not to eat meat years and years and years ago and that is one of the things that you don't want to do harm that's that the hinsa is one of the the limbs of the of the yamas and it's it's important that you don't want to harm and creating harm for another human being or an animal is it's karmic so you really want to try to be kind and compassionate and thoughtful and do your best to not create any harm for any any other person and it's difficult i remember having a conversation with my daughter once and um she said to me well mom that's all great like someone had done something hurtful to me and she knew about it and I said no I, I'm not going to respond I, I have to just let it go and she said well that's all great mom but you're letting someone walk all over you and I thought about it a lot and I thought you could look at it that way yeah I mean and and there is a difference between being a doormat and being someone who doesn't add fuel to a fire and I I choose to be more of the not adding fuel because it just builds more. It just builds more and more and that energy of of whatever it is, if it's hatred or if it's hurt, if it's if it's anything that could be construed as, as having that more negative type of relation with another person, it's it's a challenge because when you just build on that, you're not helping what the goal is, which is is peace, and so that that's been my journey, and that's what I've been teaching her. And my hope is that she doesn't see me as someone who just lies down and lets people take advantage, but as someone who is is still an activist in a different way, without the violence of the mouth, so to speak. Wow, that's that's very powerful and insightful. I, I really like that. And I'll probably have to use that when um, my daughter asks me the next time I get road rage and I decide not to do anything about it. Do you normally do something about it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, oh, I'll, make, I'll make sure I'm not on Dorset Street at a certain time when you are to have you know, safety on the side of the road. Right. Okay. Um, let's stick with the, <laughs> with the spiritual aspect of all of this, <laughs> just to take the attention away from me here. Um, so <laughs> there, there are very close correlations between the practice of yoga and the religions of Buddhism and or Hinduism. And um, I know a couple, some people that uh, have chosen not to practice yoga because they assume it will conflict with their religious values. Um, is yoga a religion, and can a Christian or a Muslim practice yoga without conflicting with their religious beliefs? That's a very heavy question. Um, I mean, the quick, quick and easy answer is, of course, they can. And I'll explain my answer as to why I think, of course, anybody can do yoga. It's, I mean, what are the premises? of all organized religions. Basically, it would be love thy neighbor or do no harm, or it's, there's their basic premises, and, and there's basic premises in the Quran, in the Torah, in the Bible, in the Yoga Sutras, and 
the basic premise is the same, and it's just really teaching lessons of of how to be kind and how to be good and how to be loving. And just like I didn't really want to get into the whole vegetarianism thing because I think there's no conflict in practicing yoga and then going to church or going to temple or going to the mosque because you could go you could take what you want and work it into any religion and you could work it into being a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Catholic or a Christian or a Baptist that doesn't matter it's it's just the practice of yoga and what it can do for you spiritually won't take away from what you feel connected to religiously at least in my opinion I don't see a conflict it's it's not a religion per se if you believe in doing no harm and in loving yourself and in turn then loving others then you're good got it so it's kind of keep going and so talk to me about meditation is meditation the same as prayer well <laughs> um, probably for a lot of people I think it's a similar you get into a similar probably brain wave because there's the alpha and the beta brain wave and in meditation the studies have shown and all these these scans, this is a very fascinating practice, your brain waves shift from beta brain wave, which is our typical constant kind of um, sympathetic nervous system where we're always like fight or flight kind of reactions and, you know, capabilities of making decisions and, and having the ability to work and drive and do like 17 things at once, although that's actually not true we can't multitask and then the alpha brain is the calm brain it's the it's the brain where your parasympathetic nervous system is becoming more lit up and with prayer it's probably the same thing and I don't know I'm sure there's studies done with any form of prayer and when someone is becoming still which you do when you pray and I mean not all the time it's the same you get into the same kind of mind or meditative state with prayer and with meditation back when I was a practicing Catholic I I don't think and and I also I was a teenager or even younger I don't recall what my prayers were like at that moment in time I was young and I probably was praying to get a car and doing stupid prayers that weren't really <laughs> mindful. You know, it's like, please let that boy ask me to prom. You know, yeah. I mean, come on. Like, am I, am I meditating? No. <laughs> or I'm crying about something. And Well, did he ask you to the prom? For, you know, I never went to a prom. No, 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 <laughs> never. So apparently my prayers weren't working. So <laughs> clearly, <that's because laughs> no. So I really don't think that that kind of prayer was could be compared. But I think if if the true prayers are happening and and you're really becoming quieted and still, and your mind is becoming very focused, I think that can be a form of meditation. And also 
I tell a lot of the students that I see, and I say to them, you don't have to sit to meditate. Meditation can be running. Meditation can be snowboarding. Meditation can be walking in the woods. It could be surfing. It could be skateboarding. Anything where you're just in your moment. I mean, it's not the same as, as sitting and breathing meditation, but it's, it's the same process of becoming pure and focused in what you're doing. So and that say, is a form of meditation. So you're saying the conditions don't have to be perfect and you don't have to be in the supremely serene and perfect environment to meditate. Oh, I suck at meditation. I am the worst. I am like the absolute worst meditator. But I do it every day because I know it's helping me. And it's funny. It's like a lot of a lot of people will say, "Oh, I I can't I can't sit and meditate. I'm too anxious." And you know, it's, and or people will say like the same kind of theme about like, "Oh, I can't do yoga. I'm not flexible." And I joke and I say, "That's like saying." And there's a quote and there's a whole photo and I posted it on Facebook once. That's like saying that you're too dirty to take a bath. Like I'm too stinky. I'm not gonna shower. I smell. I am not gonna shower. It's like the same thing. So it's like if your mind is going a mile a minute, or if your body is really hurting or inflexible, then you need meditation, and and you do need yoga. And it's not. It nothing is ever perfect. I mean, I fall when I still practice. I I slip out of poses all the time, and. As I sit to meditate, my mind's still going a mile a minute, but then it's like becoming aware, and then I'm thinking about thinking, and I'm going, oh, wait, okay. All right, so, so I again. challenge that because uh, I'm going to give you a little sneak peek into my private hell here. Um, I've tried meditation, and I must be the most ADHD person I know as far as like meditation is concerned. And I either can't hold the silence for more than 30 seconds without my brain going somewhere, or sometimes I'm literally bored out of my mind. Um, or other times, well, in fact, most of the times I have fallen asleep, you know, so I challenge you to being arguably the worst meditator in the world. <laughs> okay, then maybe I am number two. Okay. So help, help me. me. That's, that's, okay. My, that's my cry for help. Do guided meditations. I cannot do, I mean, I've, I've done silent meditations and I didn't stick with it very long. I was all over the place. And so I found a guided meditation and it's led by this lovely, amazing woman. And it's every day, Monday through Friday. And then I listen, I re-listen to two of them for the weekend. And it's a guided meditation and it's just very, I mean, she doesn't speak a lot. She just kind of does visualizations and she has you, she kind of talks through the process of becoming seated and finding your seat and then focusing on softening your outer being. So there's a lot of focus on softening your skull, softening the hairline, softening the jaw and becoming aware of your body and really becoming present in the fact that you're sitting here in your body. And then she says, so now we're going to focus or just become aware of the sounds around you. And so then you start listening. And from the sound, we move to the breath. And then there's a lot of quiet time. And, and she just kind of will give every little, I, I don't know, it's like a 25-minute meditation so every so often she'll speak again and just keep 
bringing you back to your breath because it's amazing. I, I sat and listened to the same meditation and it was like I'd listened to it for the first time the second time because I was obviously not listening the first time because my brain had all these other great thoughts going on. And she's so funny. She says, like, a lot of times when you first sit down to meditate, you'll think either you're crazy or you're a genius because it's like these thoughts are just like, I, I have like great thoughts. I'm like, I really want to write this down or I'll start writing. Like I'll start coming up with a great poem in my head and I'm like, oh man, I really want to write this down. And I forget it every single time because then I'm like, sit, Carrie, just sit and just go back to your breath. So that's how I found the way that I can consistently meditate is with someone really being a teacher. And I needed that. And doing it on my own, I was sporadic. I would always find a reason or something else to do that led me away from it. Yeah, and, and people have even said to me, like uh, my coworkers, they'll say, Carrie, what's going on? What's different? I just don't get pulled into drama as much, and I just kind of, I'm, I'm nicer, I'm smiling more, I'm quiet. I'm really quiet. I just realized the other day I was walking with a friend, and I realized I'm not filling the space with nonsensical speech and babble. I'm just quieter, which is, and then I was like, does that mean I'm boring? Like, have, am I becoming a boring person? But, you know, nah, I'm not boring. I'm just a quiet version of myself. So it's like yoga has, you know, kind of calmed my, my physical competitive warrior. And then the meditation is just that extra layer where now I'm just kind of becoming just a little bit more peaceful and a lot quieter. I and so do you think you're happy now? Oh, definitely. I you know, it's. I mean, it's it's all a process because I I loved the parts of me that was the the blurter outer, but it's it's kind of a. Um, it feels like I, I really feel like I'm a nicer person. It's it's as simple as that. And how awesome is that that I can be, I can be like I remember one time someone called me sweet and I was never called sweet. Like it was never an adjective to describe me. And someone said, Carrie, you're really sweet. Like oh my gosh, I'm sweet. I am. <laughs> it was like this. I wanted to go run in the fields like the lady from The Sound of Music and twirl like. <laughs> <laughs> it was just amazing, and and that's I I take that as like the biggest compliment. Yeah. I like to be sweet. Well, what's interesting is I mean everyone wants happiness and no one wants to suffer, and yet anger and stress and restlessness and fear, anxiety, impatience—all these are very real emotions and um, habitual patterns of behavior that we face every day. And I'm just wondering whether something like yoga and meditation are the sort of things that help you to to deal with those. And if so, how have those sort of impacted your life? There's this whole premise that once you do a pattern and you do it again and again, then it becomes your habit. It becomes this path of least resistance, like this little groove in your brain. They call it samskaras. And so... It's like what you go to. And then if you're anything like a human being, like me, all of a sudden you keep seeing these same outcomes happen. And you're like, why does this always happen to me? 
you know, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say this, and I have said it myself. Like, why is the same thing happening? And it's because you're just walking down that same path because you're being led by your habits, your patterns, and the outcome is then the same. And if you're not aware of it, you're just going to keep doing it. And then you're just going to think, like, this life, I, it's just, I, these things just keep happening to me. Woe is me. Oh, gosh, poor me. Everything keeps happening to me. And as you practice, you become aware of these habits and patterns. And then what you become aware of is the fact that you are walking the same path. So the outcome, your end point is going to be the same. So you have to really evaluate and then think, all right, do I really want to sit here and say, this keeps happening to me, why me, why me? Or do I want a different result at the end? So it's like the quote where it says, our habits are like like these wild feral cats. And you keep feeding them and they keep coming to your door. So your habits are like these cats and you're feeding them with your with your habits and your patterns and your behaviors and they're still at your door meowing every day for food. So you, you start starving them. You start changing them. You start maybe doing a complete 180 degree away turn from them and think, okay, so every time I'm in a situation like this, this is my normal habit reaction way of being. I need to do something different. And that's what I learned as I practiced yoga over time. That realization came to me. And I didn't want to be behind the wheel of a car and think that the red light turned red to spite me. Because how dare a light turn red when Terry Fantelli's driving on the road and has to go to work. And I really would get like insulted. I'd be like, oh my God, like that light turned red. And it was ridiculous. And it was like I took everything personally. Everything became so personal against me. And I realized, like, that's not not happening. The light's just turning red. It's just the way that the the green light turned yellow and you were at this distance. And by the time you got up there, it turned red. I mean, I literally would have taken something like that personally. I'm being a bit exaggerated, but not really. And... (laughs) So that was what I realized. Like, I felt like, all right, I have to understand that not everything is about me. And that's hard for a lot of Americans. Like, not everything is about us. Like, not everything is about you. It's it's just like you take everything to such a personal level. And I still do it, but I'm aware of it, and I'm doing that 180-degree turn away from it. So it's becoming less and less. I don't take things personally as I once used to. Right. And and how amazing is that, right? That is pretty amazing. I I love that. So uh, in closing, this is a question that I ask all of my guests. Um, I I have a feeling I might know your response to this just uh, from this uh, 45 minutes that we've had together. If you could travel back in time and have a conversation with a younger version of yourself, what words of wisdom would you say to yourself and why? Wow. Um, don't buy the Honda Prelude. It's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
Oh, God, Tino. I mean, there are so many younger selves I would like to go back and, and I would, I would go back to my nine-year-old self and say, you don't have to fight a war that isn't yours. Put your weapons down. You don't need them. And keep your heart open no matter what. Hmm. Those are some powerful words. Thank you very much for that. Um, So would you like to share how, uh, how people can get connected with you and learn more about you and your practice? Sure. Um, probably the easiest thing would be to email me at carriefantelli at gmail.com. I teach yoga only twice a week because I work five days a week. Um, and I teach at Soulshine Power Yoga, which is a hot yoga studio in Essex. I teach there on Wednesday nights at 6 and Sundays at 1045. And I would love to get anyone's feedback or questions or thoughts, and I'm very open to talking. It's, you know, I could go on for hours and hours about this particular topic. Oh, great. So, um, Kerry, it's been an incredibly interesting conversation. I feel a unique sense of enlightenment now that um, I have spoken to you. So thank you very much for your time and uh, for sharing with us your story and your insights. And um, I hope that you continue to devote yourself to helping others in humble ways and to continue to exude such positive energy. And uh, in the end, I mean, if the end goal of all these sun salutations and you know, the seven limbs and stuff is healthy bodies and tranquil minds, then um, I guess uh, I, sh- I should sign up and get myself into that. So thank you again for, for having me. And uh, Thank you. Um, I'm actually going to maybe ask you to do something a little bit off what I, how I would normally close out. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about, um, about meditation. Would you like to guide me and my listeners through <laughs> a minute-long guided meditation session. Sure. Why not? Okay. Ready? I'm ready. How are you seated right now? I am seated in a chair, I guess. Okay. Can you put both of your feet on the ground? They're both on the ground. All right. Make sure they're both flat. You're not crossing your legs, nothing. They're both flat on the ground. Yes. And let let your hands just Rest on your thighs. The palms can be up or down, whatever feels more comfortable. And close the eyes if if your eyes are open. Take a deep inhale in through your nose. And then slow exhale. It can be through the mouth or through your nose, whatever feels comfortable. And do that a couple more times. And just see if you can make your inhale length match with your exhale length. And then I like to think about creating softness in the face. So if you can even just slightly part your lips and allow space between your teeth. So it's almost as if you can feel 
the bottom jaw become a little bit heavier. And once the face just has that sense of release and relaxation, the whole body tends to follow what the expression of the face is doing. So perhaps that same feeling of openness, you can imagine that moving down into your shoulders and down into your arms. Maybe where your hands or your arms are touching your legs, you can imagine them truly connecting and feeling very heavy. I'm feeling that whole sense of full physical relaxation move down your lower legs and into your feet, where they're touching the ground, where you truly feel grounded, rooted, and connected. And taking a very big, deep inhale breath in through your nose, holding it at the top, just retaining the breath inside just for a moment, and then slowly letting that exhale breath go. That's it. Namaste. Are you so relaxed that you're gone now? I am so <laughs> relaxed. I think I just drooled on myself. <laughs> Next time on the podcast, On the Shoulders of Giants, I welcome to the show serial entrepreneur and business executive, Rich Tarrant. Rich Tarrant is most known as the co-founder and CEO of MyWebGrocer and the son of another incredible entrepreneur, Rich Terrence Sr., the founder of IDX, now known as GE Healthcare. If I knew all of the things that I would have had to have done to get this business on solid footing and the growth trajectory that it's on and all that stuff. In other words, the, you know, the ghost of Christmas past, the Christmas carol where <laughs> yeah. you know, gets dragged around by the ghost and says, here's what... Yeah. If someone did that, or if you could do that as an entrepreneur before you start down the path, you wouldn't go down the path. You, you wouldn't. You would, you would say, oh my God, I have to do all of that? I have to sacrifice family time and kid time and travel excessively and not get paid for years? And I have to do all of that, and then I still may not have something that is valuable and worthwhile and productive? You wouldn't do it. Right. Because nobody would, no one would take that gamble. But the naivety that you have, particularly when you're younger and you don't have a bunch of the, you know, responsibilities of family and the like, you say, you know what, I can do this.